0: in a Bible study of Ivan titled, Trials Produce Precious Faith. Trials produce precious faith. We're following along with Peter, our pastor. He's writing as a pastor to a group that's suffering greatly and have been for some time. They're scattered, they're weary, they're tired, they're confused, they're perplexed and they're going through some of the most difficult times in their lives. Trial upon trial upon trial, every area of comforts being removed from them. The society in which they live has turned completely against the church. They can't look to help from the government. They can't look to help from the culture. They they are very much on their own, as God intended. It wasn't just some ordinary type of persecution, but there were many who were trying to stop the gospel from spreading by attempting to wipe out those who were sharing it. And it's to them that Peter writes, pick up with me in verse three by way of review, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who, verse five, are kept. Remember that word is so rich. You are protected, you are fortressed. There's a garrison of protection around you. You are kept by the power of God through faith. For salvation that's ready to be revealed In the last time, in this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you verses six and seven in the New Living Translation. He says, so truly be glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so that when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials are an opportunity for rejoicing. So we've got the foundation of the gospel of grace that our efforts, our energies, our works are not what keep us. No matter what comes our way, it isn't a t- call to work more, to work harder. It isn't a call to do more. It isn't a call to beat yourself up and be filled with regrets. No, it's, it's a call to be reminded in great trials of who you belong to, of the work of God in your life, that it's a blessing to be saved, That we have received mercy. God has born us. We're born again into a living hope. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved. We have a heavenly inheritance waiting for us. And we're kept. Even when we feel like we've fallen away and we've run away, we're kept by the power of God. And in this, you you rejoice. It's good. It's, man, I'm happy. God is good. He's faithful. Even when I am faithless, he remains faithful. Even though... You are facing many trials for a little while. You might want to mark that. It's a little while. Our lives today, compared to eternity, it's just a little while. Now, some of you, of course, this refers directly to your trial. Your trial is a little while. It feels like forever because you live it in every moment. It feels like forever because it's lasted months, not weeks. It feels like forever because it's lasted years, not months. It feels like forever because it seems as you reflect back upon your life that your life has been one big trial. But the Bible says it's a little while. It's a little while. Rejoice in the work of God for you even if though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. See, trials are an opportunity. An opportunity for rejoicing and reflecting They're not an open door to complain, try to wiggle out of them, try to control them. God has allowed them. In some cases, he has literally sent you into the storm and into the battle and into the trial. God is sovereign. Remember, Jesus wrote a little note to the suffering church in Smyrna. Hold your place here. Turn back to Revelation, would you? In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus wrote a note to a suffering church. And his words are very encouraging because he knows you're suffering. He knows the suffering church. He knows the suffering marriage. He knows the suffering childhood. And if need be, you know, none of us ever think we need trials. Can I get an amen on that? It's like, oh, I want to grow. I think I'll buy the book. Okay, you buy the book, but you need trials you know, I want to grow, but I think I'll listen to that Bible series again. Oh, you listen to the Bible study series, but I'll tell you what, you need trials. I need resistance in my life. Everything can't just go my way. I need, for the sake of my faith, to be genuine and to be purified and to reveal the glory of God. I need to go through trials, much like the suffering church here in Smyrna. Notice Revelation chapter 2 in verse 8. You'll notice in your Bibles, most likely these letters are in red, and whenever you see red letters in a Bible, the translators did that with the intention of reminding you that these are the words of Jesus. Now the entirety of the Bible is inspired, but those times that Jesus, the Son of Man, spoke are highlighted in red. So here he is writing a little note to the angel or the pastor or the overseer of the church in Smyrna, write, verse 8. These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're really rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are you're about to suffer. So some of you, you need to take a pen out and underline that in your life. You don't need to fear some of the things you're about to suffer. It's almost like Jesus is saying, as bad as it is now, it's going to get worse, but you don't need to fear that. It's a part of life. You don't need to fear what you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison so that what? You might be tested. You'll have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You're suffering for the right reasons, church. Don't think that because you're suffering, somehow you're a bad Christian. Or you don't have enough faith. Or you didn't follow the guy or the gal you were watching on TV. First of all, stop following the person that tells you that suffering is because of your lack of faith. You suffer and I suffer because suffering is normal. It is the normal lot in life. We live in a sin soaked world. So we suffer on the level of living in a sin soaked world. Then we suffer because of our own sinful decisions. Then we suffer for the sin of others. Then we suffer at times when it's a test to reveal the genuine. Sometimes we suffer because we bite the apple of temptation. Sometimes we suffer. I mean, we believers and unbelievers suffer. And when the church in Smyrna was suffering, Jesus didn't say, It's all your fault. He says, Look, it's going to get worse but stay strong. It's a little while. And then notice back in Peter, he says, greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Now, I know that this is a word that is very familiar to those under the weight of trials. They're grievous. They're heavy. You can circle that word and write next to it, distressed. The idea of this word is that they're they're just overwhelming. They're sapping life out of you. You're you're just grieved, and you're sad, and you're tired. It's the same word that's used to describe the rich young ruler when he walks away from Jesus. It says in Mark chapter 10 verse 21, then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, this one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. Because the rich young ruler chose not to take up his cross and follow Jesus, here's the result. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful or grieved. He walked away grieved because he had a lot of possessions. He walked away grieved because he refused to deny himself. He walked away grieved because he valued something more than a relationship with Jesus. Our trials grieve us. Not only that, we also learned that trials come in various ways, verse six, (laughs) various ways. Trials come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and types. All temptations and trials are the same. But family, it's important to remember the sovereignty of God, that we have the same God over the different trials. The church has faced a variety of persecution over the years. They've, re- they've faced persecution on a family level. They've, pa- they've faced persecution on a cultural level. They've faced, I could say they, we could say we as the church have faced family persecution, cultural persecution. We've seen governmental persecution. We've seen even religion being developed by man to take advantage of man, various trials. But we must remember that persecution has never permanently hurt the church. And doesn't currently hurt the church. There's no need for us to throw up on our hands and say, oh no, the church can't progress because of this is happening or this decision was made. The church is not in submission to the whims of man. The church is the organism of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And even after they thought they eliminated Jesus by crucifying him illegally, he rose again from the dead. Peter wants us to make sure. Jesus, when writing to Smyrna, wants us to understand, look, I'm Jesus and I rose again from the dead. What are you facing lately? Uh, I'm the one, he says... I'm the one, we've been begotten again back in verse 3 to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Perhaps fear and anxiety has taken root in your life because you've forgotten the resurrection power of Jesus. You don't serve some lame, limp God that's just like, oh no, what's happening down there? I don't know, hey, what are we supposed to do? How are we going to respond? We serve the sovereign God. Nothing moves him. He's unchangeable. And when we find ourselves abiding in Christ, you're unmovable. And you can go through the worst of the worst things. You've been through various trials. You look back at your relationship with the Lord, you've had all kinds of things. They come in shapes and sizes. And when we look at the early church and the church in every generation, it seems like every time the church faced serious pressures, they grew from it. That their spiritual growth internally and externally... You know, you're not the only one going through problems. You know that, right? Most of the world doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're going through the same thing you're going through without any hope. There's no hope. And and where they place their hope, they're continually let down. So what happens in a time of crisis? I'll tell you what happens in a time of crisis. People start drinking more. Why? They don't want to feel the weight of what's happening in the world around them. What happens in a time of crisis, people start smoking more. They start snorting more. They start partying more. They start running more. They start visiting psychologists and psychiatrists. Why? Because there's no hope. They have no hope after eternity. They, they look at their philosophy and they look at their, their way, their worldview, and. It brings them no hope. Evolution, the worldview, the predominant religion of secular culture, secular humanism, in a very general sense, evolution speaks of survival of the fittest over the years. But but how does that play to the heart that feels weak and burdened? How does that philosophy pay to a person that says, you know, I don't think I'm gonna make it through today. I don't know, I don't, I feel weaker than I ever have. I can't pay my bills. I've got all this debt. I followed the world the way that they, I followed the world system exactly as I was taught. I went to school, I got my degree, I entered into a career, only to find out it didn't satisfy me, left me saddled with debt, I'm stressed out, I've got, I just got sold, I just got laid off, I just got, I just got, and man, there's no hope. You see, believers, you entered into life, not death. You've been begotten again to a living hope. The worst thing that can happen to you on earth is that you lose your life. (laughs) That's it. That's the worst thing that can happen. Your last breath on on earth will be your first breath in the presence of Jesus Christ. You'll be restored. You'll have a new body. All the aches and pains will be gone. You'll worship God. You'll be on your knees, worshiping God, thanking Him for His faithfulness. You'll be crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You'll be so encouraged and so excited. For the believer, there's a blessed hope. The soon return of Jesus Christ will deliver us from these difficulties. Eternity awaits us. For many of us, we are expecting, there's a, there's like a, there's a struggle in our hearts because, man, in one breath, I be in, I'll be in eternity right now. I want to be reunited with my boy, with my parents, with the relatives. Man, I would do it in a heartbeat. My heart is already in heaven, so much of it. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And yet there's a battle that I'm here now, so I want to be faithful here. I want to live and fulfill my purpose for whatever breath that I have. I want to be faithful here. I want to teach the truth here. And yet, if need be, the longer I stay here, the more trials I go through. I wonder if you too have that same wrestling. You have that desire, like Paul said, to depart and to be with the Lord, be in the presence of the Lord. But to be here, he said to the Philippians, is more needful. It's more needful. And the longer we're here, the more trials we face. Various. Genuine faith, notice, in verse 7, is what God's working out in your life. That's what trials produce. There's a lot of different passages in the Bible that talk about what trials do in a believer's life. But here, Peter wants you to know that the genuineness of your faith is being worked on. The genuineness of your faith. Have you noticed that genuine faith is rarely revealed in times of comfort and ease? When there's really no pressure, there's that tendency for us to want comfort and ease. It doesn't make much sense for us to say, bring it on, we'll take all the trials. That's not a proper response to difficulty, although I do believe there is an embracing by faith, but we have this tendency to want to avoid anything that's painful, anything that's disturbing, or even anything that's new. How many times have we had to revisit this as a church constantly over and over again trying to help everybody adapt to change, adapt to change. There's always changes, always changes, always changes, always changes. But some of you are thanking God for going through all these little changes as a church so that when one big change was dropped on you, you were ready for it. They go, okay, it's another one, another opportunity to adjust my life to the circumstances that are around me. Why? So that I might greatly honor God in my life. So I won't waste my life fighting and complaining and pushing back on the sovereign will of God for my life. You might want to jot this down in your notes. It is God's will for you to suffer. You can write it down even personally. Uh, Pastor Ed said it's God's will for me to suffer. And if you want to add a little line, I don't like that he said that. Fine. But it's God's will. Don't think that you'll we'll learn that from Peter later on. Don't think it's strange. Concerning the fiery trial that's about to try you. It almost sounds identical to what Jesus told the church in Smyrna. It's going to get worse, but you're going to be fine. It's going to get worse, but you're going to be fine. And in that tendency for us to seek comfort and ease, when we find it, then we want to settle down in it. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 48, would you? Would you go back to Jeremiah chapter 48 with me? This, this happened to a whole country, a whole group of people in Jeremiah chapter 48. The people of Moab fell into this very trap. Pick up with me when you get back there, Jeremiah 48 verse 11. Listen to what the prophet says. It says, Moab in Jeremiah 48 11, has been at ease from his youth. He has settled in on his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste has remained in him, and his scent has not changed. Basically using an ancient picture of winemaking, crushing in the grapes, letting it sit, letting the impurities fall to the bottom, taking that barrel, and then pouring that juice into another barrel, letting the impurities settle, and then pouring it out until no more impurities. Then the the wine was exactly the way it was to be, to be fermented. It says, look, Moab is like a vessel of wine, uh, of grape juice that never got poured. It just sat there and sat there and sat there. There was no attention to it. There was no disruption. It says, it describes it here, "From from the youth, they've just settled. And I wonder, for those listening to me right now, maybe on the radio, that you are just comfortable and you've become settled. And because you've become settled, notice, you go into captivity. That's, that's where people go into captivity to addictions, to sinful behaviors. That's when guys and gals start looking at pornography. They start visiting places, going places, saying things, doing things, thinking things. They become captive to sin. Why? Because their life's not being poured out. And they're settled. And they like it that way. And notice he says, not only are you go into captivity, but your taste remained. You ruined. You're ruined because you haven't faced the pouring in and the pouring out. And, and I've always thought this from the very first time this, this illustration was ever shared in a Bible study years ago. I immediately got this picture of the barrel pouring it. And there is some vulnerability when you take a barrel and you pour in liquid to another one where there's that gap between barrel one and barrel two and you're just out there on your own. And who really wants to be so vulnerable? We have such a protective layer around us. It's in a culture like ours right now, the big thing in our culture is, oh, it's so good to be transparent. It's so good when you meet a real transparent, truthful person. Listen, transparency and truthfulness is Christianity 101. We shouldn't be surprised by transparency and honesty. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Our lives are vulnerable. You will be hurt. You will be betrayed. You will be lied about. People will turn on you. They will undermine you. They'll break in and steal. They'll try to harm you, hurt you. This is the world, gang. This is it. There's a vulnerability. But in the pouring and in the changing and in the movement, in the trials, genuine faith is being developed. Genuine faith. For the church, the believers here that Peter's writing to, the trials were not intended for them to rise up and fight. (laughs) Peter doesn't tell them, doesn't say to them, you know, you guys are going, he's not gonna say it in any of either one of his letters. He's not gonna say, you guys are going through it, big oppression, stand up and fight. He says, no, let me tell you what's happening. Something really good is happening right now. All this stuff you guys are facing, you have to run away, you lose this, you lost that. All this, you know, I want to tell you, God is doing a work. He doesn't give them instruction, rise up, assert your rights, fight for it. No, he says, look, God's doing a work on the inside that you'll never get anywhere else. So that genuineness of your faith is revealed. Many times I believe that God wants to move us from areas where we become too comfortable and too at ease. So he'll allow disruptions, or he'll personally interrupt and disrupt our lives. And then we'll cry out, why'd you do this? What's going on, God? I don't like this. Get me out of this. And it's almost like heaven can say, oh, Ed, you're praying again. Welcome back. What would you like me to do in your life now? Where you been? Haven't heard from you in a while. And then you're like, Ed, you got a horrible prayer life. No, no, no. You put your name in there. Comfort and ease don't normally draw out these desperate prayers, do they? But difficulties do. Trials do as they bring out something else that's precious in the believer and that's a broken and contrite heart. Brokenness and humility and meekness where we're surrendered. And as we cry out, God knows what we need in our times of adversity and our roots are going down deeper in Him. What are the ingredients of strength in our lives? Let me give you a couple. We could write a whole list, but let me give you three. What are three ingredients that help us to keep us strong? Well, number one, we see hope. That phrase, a little while. Hope. This isn't going to last forever. Now compared to eternity is just a little while. All that you're facing, all in your life, is only here for a little while. Yes, you're suffering now but like Paul told the Romans, it's small compared to the glory. Let me show you again. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 now. Go back to Romans with me. In Romans chapter 8, I want you, I'd read these to you, but I want you to see them. Uh, This is so vital. This is foundational to a theology of suffering and a theology of difficulty and a theology of oppression and a theology of of contrast and difficulty and and governmental overreach and everything that you go through uh, when it's not fair at work, when it's not fair at home, when it's not fair in the workplace, when life is just not fair. Listen, hope roots you. Notice in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. Paul would tell the Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to emptiness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I consider, Paul says, I look at my life right now, the things I'm going through, and they don't compare to eternity. Hope brings strength. Number two, the believer has purity that brings strength. And you say back in 1 Peter, where does that come in? Well, where He says in verse 7, the genuineness of faith, it's much more precious than gold that perishes because it's tested by the fire and may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, what's in our lives today is a test. It's a test. Pains have a purpose as God's hand is upon your life. You know that even if the trial is coming from the devil himself, there is a limitation going on from the throne room of God. And next to that word genuineness, you can write this word approved, so that your faith is approved. Another word for this Greek word is tested or put to the test. And it gives us the picture of the refinement of gold. We don't pay much attention to that today, but the refinement of gold is the same now as it was then. In biblical times, the goldsmiths would heat their gold to extremely hot temperatures and then skim off the impurities. And they would do it over and over again. And it was only when the goldsmith, looking at his vat of gold, would look down and could see his reflection clearly in the gold that he knew it was pure and it was done. And he could turn the fire off and pour it into molds because this is as pure as it's going to get. And you might be in the middle of a serious trial even right now. And there's confusion, and there's pain and sorrow and frustration. There's even, I'm finding a a great increase among believers, among people in general, but among believers even in our church, this sense of wanting to control something. You just want to, nothing, you have really no control over a lot of things. So the things that you do have control over, you just want to grasp onto whether it's you expressing your opinion in a way that hurts others. Whether it's running away and going, nah, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm going to run away. I'm going to take off. Or Whether it's getting mad at somebody and running instead of just going to them, like Matthew 18 says, and resolving it. And all the time you're just like internally you're becoming more mad, more frustrated, more angry, more resentful. And you're just carrying all this stuff. And everyone you're talking, every, the bitterness in your life is defiling everyone. It's uncomfortable not being able to control things, but this is the way it's always been. This latest test is just wanting to refine us so that even in the middle of our serious trial, even as we're in the midst of it now for years and years, some of you can, you can communicate, you can share with me, man, Ed, it's been years, man. I hear pastor, I've been hearing you say this for years and, and I'm still in it. When's it gonna end? I'll tell you, from my heart to yours, I wish I could pull out my calendar and give you the date. I wish I could say, I, God gave me the word and it's going to be at 3.05 p.m. on Tuesday, six years from now. Now, six years, may, you might want it in six days, but you'd take six years if you knew it was going to end. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'll, then you'd endure it and you would endure it and you, instead of trusting in the Lord, you know what you'd begin. If I told you the days, you know what you'd begin. You'd start counting them down. You'd pay more attention to the days than to the god of the days that's why he doesn't tell us if you knew the end of your trial and you knew what god was wanting to accomplish in your trial then you would jump in and try to help it along a little bit (laughs) says well you know what god says i'm going to help develop faith in you and so what would you do you're going to get all the money out of your 401k and buy every book on faith that you can possibly find because in your mind, the quicker you can learn faith, the quicker the trial will be over. But that's not how it works. God has a purpose. God has a timing. And he's refining and the turning up the fires and refining and turning. So then, Ed, you still haven't asked the question, I mean, answer the question, when's it gonna end? Well, like the ancient goldsmith, the trial is going to end when Jesus looks at you and sees his reflection. When you begin to reflect the attributes of Jesus, more clearly, when you begin to see the fruit of your spirit just flowing in your life, I'm sure as you track back through the trials in your Christian life, you can see the glorious and wonderful changes that came from them. You made them through. You made it through them, didn't you? Here you are. We made it through. Well, yeah, but, but Ed, we made it through to come to another one. Yeah. Glory to glory, strength to strength. Jesus said, you're going to go through many tribulations. Here we have various trials. But as you look back, I know whether you admit it or not, whether you can see it or not, people around you can see it, the longer you walk with Jesus and endure trials and submit to God through them, the more Christ-like you are. And I am certain that you are more Christ-like today than the day you were born again. Even if you can't track it, you can't prove it, don't worry about it. God has done his work in your life. And you're more reflective of his nature. But not only that, we have the hope, thirdly, in strength. We have the hope, little while. We have purity, because our faith is precious. But we also have the hope to see Jesus, to be in his presence. One day soon, we will see to him, and we will see him, be with him, and hopefully we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You say, what, me? Me? Well done, good in faith. Say, yes, you, you made it. Here we are. I'm not casting you off. Well, how did I make it? Oh, 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 you of little faith. I told you, I had Peter tell you. I had Peter write it down for you. I had that pastor guy in Colorado emphasize it for you. I kept you all along with my power. I've been with you all along. When you turn to the left, I was there to keep you. When you turn to the right, I was there to keep you. All the pain, all the heartache, all the sufferings will fade away into forgetfulness when we see Jesus face to face. One day we'll be taken up in the rapture to be with Jesus forever in the clouds. One day, no matter what storm we've gone through, God has enabled us to endure and persevere. And in this, we can greatly rejoice. In this. So good. In John chapter 16, verse 22, it says, therefore, now you, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. That's what Jesus said. I know right now it's sorrowful, and it's hard, but one day I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice. It's John 16, 22. It's So good. So in the church and in our personal lives, we find that God allows heavy situations and trials to come. Persecutions, pains, difficulties. And as soon as you start turning up the fires of persecution, the impurities are burned away. As we learned recently, if you try to fight this or sidestep this, you're choosing to try to fight and sidestep God's will and fight God himself. It's for a season. There's going to be that revelation of praise and honor and glory when we meet Jesus face to face. This is for a season, what we're currently going through. You can fill in the blank of what you're currently going through. But it's for a season. It's for a time. Let's choose to live more purposefully in worship of God more constantly in the light of his soon return. Let's not be so distracted with the voices and the opinions and the attitudes that have advice. How many people come with advice to your trial? Ask Job. His friends had a lot of advice for him, but they were wrong. The best thing Job's friends ever did was show up, sit down with him for seven days and say nothing and just be there with their friend. As soon as they start to open their mouth and try to explain Job's situation and try to help Job out and how like we, we've, it's important in a time especially in a global crisis where we're all facing the same thing we've got to train our ears to hear the voice of the Lord. We've got to train our ears to consistently look to Him for our direction. Your faith is more precious than gold. Your faith is more valuable than money. Faith is a spiritual commodity that's infinitely more precious than every possession that you own. It's more important than anything you could ever obtain. And if God, and I would say sense God, allows trials to come in different ways, you know that there's a purifying work in your life. That He's working all things together for good. So submit yourself to God and let the impurities be removed so that we can live more purely for our master, not for our church, not for religion's sake, not for popularity, not to gain a crowd, not to preach to the choir, but so that we might be growing in grace and faith and reflecting the love of Jesus in a lost and dying world. I know this, God will not waste your trial. God will not waste the trial that's in your life. You may waste the trial that's in your life. You may miss it and have to revisit it over and over again until you get it. Poured, 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 poured. But God won't waste it. So doesn't it make sense, not wanting to waste our time on earth, that we would submit ourselves in cooperation and in collaboration with God who's already committed to you, he's not gonna waste your trial. You're gonna come out exactly into the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, cooperating through obedience and submission doesn't mean it's gonna feel better, doesn't mean it's gonna go away, but it does mean this, you're gonna be able to rejoice and enjoy the journey a lot more than having the trial and then the other trial and everybody's opinions and all everybody freaking out and then your disobedience on top of it My disobedience doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. My disobedience and sin separates me still from God. It clouds my ears from hearing his voice. It separates me from real fellowship with my believer, with other believers, with my friends, my family, my church family. So it just makes things worse. God will not waste your trial. There is a genuineness being developed in your life right now through no other way but through the trials, these various trials that are grieving you And let me just say, I'm sorry that you're grieved by trials, that it's so hard right now. I wish there was something in my power that could relieve the pressure. I think one of the ways that I can help you is by teaching you the truth of God's word and letting the Holy Spirit encourage you, strengthen you. But there's a part of me practically that would like to shorten it. I'd like to make it easier for you. Uh, I'd like to, well, I'd like to be in places where I'm not allowed I can't interrupt what God's doing in your life. Like a brother once said to me, I can't do more than God, I can't say more than God says, and I can't say less than God says. I need to stick right with him and what he's doing in your life. So I'll pray for you, and I'll encourage you, and I'll share testimony with you. I'll point you to God's word. I'll ask you to submit, to surrender, to obey. But listen, whatever God's doing and whatever God's allowed, genuineness of your faith, more precious than all that you've ever owned, it's good. We'll be on this topic for a while. So Father, as we turn our hearts and attentions to you and and we're just reflecting upon the the pain and suffering of a scattered church, I know that many in our church are scattered. They're weary and tired. They're angry and frustrated. They're running. And it's this person's fault and it's that person's fault and it's that church and it's that pastor and they don't do it right and she doesn't right and it's their wife's fault and it's their husband's fault. And if we would just admit that it's my fault come to you and say, I'm sorry for fighting the work of, that you're doing in my life. I'm sorry, and I'm so angry at the unfairness and how it's not right. It's not the way it should be. It's not the way it could be. It's not the way I expected Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you moment by moment. Please, we beg of you to fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight. Baptize us afresh. God, give us a desire that our faith would be more genuine today than it was yesterday. Help us to embrace eternity, knowing that What we're going through right now is just for a little while I know it doesn't feel that way but it is it's just for a little while give us joy on the journey Lord that we might rejoice in your goodness and grace in Jesus name amen we pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora